Men, the title of my message tonight is The Last Word. The Last Word. Can we say that together? The Last Word. I'm really excited to preach this message to you. I was uh, reading this book um, by A.W. Tozer. Anybody familiar with him? I feel like I've preached a lot of messages around him and his work. He's just such an incredible, he was such an incredible man of God. He's passed now, but um, I was reading a book titled Jesus. How many know that's a good book to pick up, right? <laughs> it was his book titled Jesus. And uh, there's a couple things that I want to point out and, and talk about tonight that hopefully my thought, my goal is that you'll leave here with a better understanding, not only of who Jesus is, but our relationship to him and our expectations of him, how we should function and live as a Christian. But if you have your Bible, I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. We're going to go to the beginning of the book of Hebrews. Anybody got their paper Bible? Wave them at me. You know how we do it. Let's go. Got, got a couple, couple paper Bibles in the house. Don't be waving your phone at me, Pastor Clarence. Pastor Karen, I see y'all. This isn't a U2 concert, okay? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. Before we read this, a little bit of context, just a little bit, because it's important to know, right? The book of Hebrews is, um, the author is unknown, but the audience is known. Does anybody like to take a wild guess at who the book of Hebrews was written to? To the Hebrews, right, to the Jewish people. So it not only was written to the church, but very specifically to the Jewish church, to those who were of um, the the Jewish religion, who, who experienced all that God has done in the Old Testament. And this is very important because all throughout the, the book of Hebrews, we see the author make reference to the Old Testament many, many times. There's references to different prophets. There's references to Melchizedek, the high priest. They go down the list of all of those faithful saints, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, Daniel. They go down all of these amazing people, right, that you find in the Old Testament. Testament. And so it's a very much a, a pulling from what God did in the past and showing and revealing Jesus here in the present. But I love how this almost disclaimer was given at the very beginning of the book of Hebrews. It was as if the author was knowing obviously what they would say, but disclaiming it by reminding the people of this foundational truth. And this is what I want to look at tonight. Here's what they, they say in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. It says, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, right? So we just talked about that. We see all about how God has communicated with his children by the prophets. And then they go on to say this, verse 2, has in these last days spoken to us by his son. So, so what the writer of Hebrews here is saying is that God once communicated to the children of Israel through prophets, and through judges and kings and all of these different ways, right? But he's saying this, and this time God speaks to us not just through prophets, but by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. So here's the idea. Here's what I want you to take away from tonight. It's this idea that Jesus Christ is God's last word to us. Jesus Christ is God's last word to us. When you read all throughout the Bible, what you see is God speaking to his children through symbolism, through prophets, through, through, through signs, through wonders, through all of this stuff that takes interpreting to understand kind of what God is getting at. But the, what the writer of Hebrews is saying, and this is a quote from A.W. Tozer as well, is that Jesus, the person of Jesus, now hear me when I say this, not just what he said, 
Not just his, the words in red, right? Not just his acts, not just, not just like the things that he did, but the person of Jesus, him himself, he is God's last word to us. And so as believers, if we understand this, that Jesus is God's last word to us, there's a few things that we can learn from that. Let's pray and ask the Holy Spirit to lead us before we get in too deep here. Holy Spirit, we just take a moment to honor you, to reverence you, to thank you that you're here, you're in this room, God, you've, you've filled this temple and we're so appreciative of your presence. Right now, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would uh, bring wisdom and revelation into this room. Let our eyes be open, let revelation flood our hearts so that we can see you, Jesus, in a new way. God, just like you have been speaking in the past, would you speak by your son now? And Holy Spirit, would you reveal and glorify Jesus to us? We love you. We bless you. We pray that you would bless our time together. In your name I pray. Everyone said amen and amen. There's three things that I want to look at here in, in the, with the lens and the scope of Jesus being the God's last word to us. If that's true, here's what you need, to, you need to know, right? If Jesus is God's last word to us, that means this, that every believer should be filled with hope. If Jesus is God's last word to us, then that, what that means for you and I is that all of us should be filled with hope. Now, I want to be honest before we get too much in here. I, I, I've struggled, not struggled is not the right word, wrestled with this as of late because um, I, I've just, I've seen both sides of things and it took me a minute to realize that it's not one's right and one's wrong, but it's both equally true at the same time. Okay, so I want to show you this here in a second, but I want you to look at Luke chapter 7, verse 22. Luke chapter 7, verse 22. If you have your Bibles, uh, jot it down. You can, this is a really incredible passage. I'd encourage you to go read it, but Luke chapter 7, verse 22. This is an account where John the Baptist is in prison, and after his ministry, you know, he gets in prison, and then he's ultimately beheaded, but he had a little bit of doubts. I don't know what was going on with him in that moment, but the Bible says that he sent his disciples to just check and make sure that Jesus was the Messiah. Anybody remember that story? Just wave at me, cool. Okay, so this is where we're at, right? And so the disciples of John come to Jesus and they're asking him, hey, just, just, wanted, to, just wanted to double check, right? Just wanted to really make sure, are you the son of God? And this is what Jesus says to them in Luke chapter 7, verse 22. Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things you have seen and heard, that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them. Right? That's a powerful scripture verse. And we, we, we quote this, we read this often, and it's a really one of those, like, let's get fired up type of scripture verses. But I want us to really take a, take a look at the context, right? So, so John asked Jesus if he really is the Son of God. He says, are you the Son of God? And Jesus' response to him was not, yes, I am. <laughs> right? He didn't just say, yep, I am. No, no, no. He responded to John by what, was, by what he was doing in the lives of people at that moment. So we have to understand this, that in order to be a Christian, you have to be filled with hope, right? Because what Jesus did is he equated his part of, of the Godhead, his, his identity as being the Messiah, and he said, I am the Messiah. Here is my proof. Look at all that I have done. 
right? And it is in this moment where the sick are made well, the dead are raised, the poor have the, pre- the good news preached to them. It's in these miraculous things that we see here on earth that Jesus declares and identifies his Godheadship with, right? So, so here's the two different camps that, I, that I've seen recently, right? I've heard this, that, that God doesn't, and I'm sure you have too, God doesn't do miracles now anymore. Has anybody heard that before, right? God doesn't heal the sick. He doesn't do that stuff anymore. That was for the old time. Like he's not that engaged or involved anymore. But what is going to happen is one day we're going to die. And when you go to heaven, then you're healed. Then you're, then you're going to be perfect. Then life's going to be great, right? But when we're on earth, you're going to have to like suffer a little bit with that like headache and all that sickness stuff, right? And I've heard that and that's, that's, that's just not true, right? That's not the truth. And here's why. Because Jesus says in another place that God is not the God of the dead, but he is the God of the living, right? Do you remember him saying that? And so if God is the God of the living, then he does not need to wait until the point of death in order to bless somebody. But that line of thinking suggests this, that God is not powerful or is unwilling to to make an impact here now on this earth, so he must wait until we die in order to heal, in order to set free. But but that is a very hopeless, dead way to live. Here's, Here's what I believe, right? I believe this, that if you're a Christian in the house, you have to have hope. I don't think it's possible to be a Christian and not be filled with hope. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, what does it say? Faith is the substance of things what? Hoped for, right? So faith faith is the substance of things hoped for. If you don't have hope, you can't have faith. If you live your life hopelessly, you can't activate your faith. And how many know this? That there is only one requirement for us to get into heaven, and that's faith in Jesus, (laughs) But you can't have faith in Jesus if you don't have hope, right? And so this idea that we are hopeless here on earth until we die is just not right, right? It's just not right. You, you, you have to be filled with hope. This is what Jesus says. This is what Jesus did here with, with, uh, with John the Baptist. He said, he said this, the, the sick are made well, the poor have the good news preached to them. People have hope now. And it's because of that hope that confirms me as the Messiah. So that's the one side of the camp. Here's the other side of the camp that, that I've, I've wrestled with a little bit too is this. And, and, and hear my heart on this. It's, it's not anything crazy, but it's just an interesting thought, okay? So if we read that scripture verse, the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the good news preached to them. Here is the reality of this situation right now, okay? Every single blind person that Jesus opened their eyes Guess what? Right now, as we sit here in 2023, every single one of them are blind. They're dead. Every single one of them. Every single lame person that Jesus rose up, they're all dead. They died. Even even the leopards that were cleansed, they died. The deaf that hear, they're dead. The dead that were raised, guess what? They're not still walking around here. I don't know how much longer they lived, but how many know that they died too? Right? Do you remember the story where Jesus fed 5,000 people? That's an incredible miracle. But guess what? Later that night when they went home, they were hungry again. (laughs) They weren't full for the rest of their lives, right? So when you look at this, and I know this is kind of like a terrible way of looking at these miracles, but I'm going somewhere with this. Okay, listen. When When you look at that and you sit back and you consider Jesus, you healed all these people, but they just died anyways. 
Like, you, you did all this, like, you fed, like, you fed 5,000 people for them to go home in three hours and be like, man, where's Jesus? I'm hungry again. Like, why did you do this stuff if they were just going to die, if they were just going to be hungry, if it didn't matter, right? Why would you do this stuff? It's a very, like, it's a very Solomon, Ecclesiastes type of, like, way of looking at things, right? Very downer way of looking at things. And here's what the Holy Spirit began to reveal to me. Because a lot of times, you know, we have this camp that says, oh, you're going to wait to get to heaven to be healed and, and see the miraculous. And then you have the other camp that says, no, 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 you get to see it now. And, they, and you don't really put any emphasis on, on heaven. It's all about now. And that's true. We do get to see it now. But here's the beautiful thing about why Jesus does the things that he does. Because for some reason... Jesus is concerned with us. Here's the, here's the crazy thing that I think a lot of us could benefit from having perspective on is that we live this like 80 to 90, 100 year like window, right? The Bible says our life is but a breath. It's a vapor, right? And then we spend eternity with Jesus, hopefully. So the fact that Jesus is even concerned with this at all blows my mind. It's like, man, Jesus, why do you even care that I'm just sick for a couple years? Like, why do you even care? But this is the beautiful thing about Jesus. He loves you so much. He cares about every second of your life. He is concerned. Even though, like, this is so beautiful. Even though he was sitting on that mountain and he looked out at 5,000 people, even though he knew in a couple hours they were going to be hungry again, he cared for them so much, he said, I want to feed you now. Even though he knew that that little girl, Jairus' daughter, would eventually die in a few years, he cared and loved, for her, loved her so much that he says, I'm going to raise you from the dead now. I'm going to see the kingdom of heaven manifest on this earth now because I love you so much. And this is so important for us Christians to, to understand is that, that it is not the miracles of Jesus do not just have a finite impact on your life. I know I just brought us all down with that speech, but I'm going to bring us back up. Okay, ready? Because the miracles of Jesus don't just end with death, right? When we get to heaven, we don't need to be healed because we're going to have perfect bodies, right? When, when we get to heaven, we're not going to need to see this miraculous stuff that we need to see here on earth because it's going to be perfect. But, but the transfer isn't necessarily that you're, Jesus healed you here, so you're going to be healed here. The transfer is this, is that you were healed by God, and now that you've experienced his healing, even though the healing might be finite, the beautiful thing is this, you know God as a healer. Because it's one thing to know God from a book, right? When you read the Bible and you say, oh man, Jehovah Rapha, he's, he's one that heals, right? It's, it's one thing to gather information. But the beautiful thing about Jesus and the re I think the most beautiful thing about, about seeing the miraculous of Jesus is not just that our needs are met, but that we know him as a healer. We know him as a provider. We know him as somebody who will never leave us. We know him as somebody that will pick us up out of our depression and our anxiety and set us on a solid rock. We know him intimately as somebody that changes our lives. Now, just wave your hand at me if you've ever been healed by God in this room. I know that I'm sure, oh, look, every hand's up. That's amazing, right? And, and here's the truth, right? You know him differently because you've been healed, Right? You, don't, you didn't know him the same way if I would have told you about his healing, right? If I would have come to you, Elder Alice, and said, Elder Alice, listen, God healed me and it's so amazing. God's a healer. You'd probably be like, amen, that's awesome, right? But what was your reaction when he healed you? It's completely different. Why? Because you know him in a way that you didn't know him before. And this is what I believe God is doing, not, not just exclusively to, to, you know, 
he doesn't care about our state of being, so he just wants us to know. I'm not saying that's exclusive, but what I'm saying is this, is that this is the transference from eternity, is that you're not, your body's not going to be needed to heal in eternity, but you're going to step into eternity knowing him as the healer. And it's this amazing, beautiful revelation where God reveals who he is by what he does, right? And this is what Jesus did. God revealed himself by what he did. I want you to look at this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 16. This is a cool little uh, parable story that Jesus told, and he wasn't referring to himself here, right? He was referring to different religious leaders. But we can take this kind of template that Jesus created, and we can use it on him. This is what he said. Verse 16, Matthew chapter 7, he says, You will know them by their fruits. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. So Jesus says this, you will know them by their fruits. We can know God by his fruits. We know who he is by what he does. We, like Abraham didn't know God as the provider until he had the knife over Isaac and God said stop and he looked up and miraculously there was a ram stuck in the thicket and he said Jehovah Jireh, God is the provider. Why? He might have had head knowledge of it but until he experienced the, the thing that God did for him in his life, he didn't know God as Jehovah Jireh in that moment that the revelation was was given to him and he knew God. This is why I believe every single believer should be filled with hope. You should be filled overflowing with hope. Man, every sick person, you better lay hands on them. You better be praying for people. Even if it doesn't happen, this is the beautiful thing is that when it does happen, not only is somebody healed, which is amazing, and I I don't want to take anything away from that, but not only is someone healed, but God is revealed to them. Man, they know who the Lord is. Like, think about all of the different interactions Jesus had with people as he healed them, right? It's like when he healed them, they were like, man, you are the son of God. Like, their heart were were toward him and pursuing him. Why? Because they encountered Jesus in a way that nobody else did. You have the ability to know Jesus that way. Even Mary Magdalene, you know, we look at her as an example. Sarai even even, uh, sang that little part about the oil on the feet, right? Like that's such a beautiful experience that Mary Magdalene had. But many of you might not know she was healed from demon possession, She was demon-possessed. The Bible says she had a a plethora, like seven demons in her, right? She experienced God as a healer, and that that positioned her to know him and to worship him unlike anyone else in that room that day. And so my point to us is this, is that we have to be filled with hope. We have to be filled with hope. Why? Because we know God, not just from information, not from, from sermons, not from books, not from podcasts. We know him when we experience who he is. This is what Jesus said, John, you know it's me because the deaf hear, the blind see, the dead are raised. You know who I am because of all of these good works. Here's the second thing that I want you to know about. Jesus and the Father are one, okay? We're gonna get into a little bit of of theology. Many of you probably already know this, but it's just something that I've seen recently come up and I just wanna address it because it can be a pretty dangerous 
um, think uh, theology to hold. But, but if you and I are going to understand that Jesus is God's last word to us, what we have to understand is that Jesus and the Father are one. And I know all of you might know that and have heard that, but, but let me just tell you kind of what I think. So I've had this thought before. I don't anymore. But I had this thought, and I don't, I don't know if I heard this taught. I won't, I won't blame any, anybody. I'll just say that I came up with it myself. But I had this thought that, G, that God was this big, bad, angry God, right? And he was just waiting to smite us. He was so frustrated with our sin, he hated our sin, and he wanted to destroy us, right? That's what I heard when I heard the penalty for sin is death, right? That's, and that's where my mind went, okay? I was like, oh my goodness, God is so mean. Why would he do that, right? You just imagine this mean, angry God ready to kill you. And then I, and then I see like this, Jesus, our hero, our superhero, steps in and he, he grabs God's arm. And he says, no, don't kill them. I'll die for them, right? And there's this picture of like Jesus staying the arm of God and be coming for, to our defense, right? And like saving us from this really mean God that's trying to kill us, right? And, and, and I know that's kind of funny, kind of extreme, but there's a lot of people, many Christians, in fact, that hold this theology, that believe that God is a bad guy and Jesus is our hero. And it's very dangerous to go down that road because what we have to understand is that Jesus and God are one. Jesus is a part of the Trinity which, which um, exists with God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, right? That is the Trinity of who God is. And at no point in history has God ever been on different pages with himself, okay? Let's just make that clear, okay? At no point in history has Jesus and God had a falling out, <laughs> right? At no point in history has the Holy Spirit and Jesus had different plans, right? There, that we serve a God so unlike us that we can't even fathom how, how, how they can be in a perfect relationship, right? I mean, husbands and wives, you can't even settle on the same place to eat you know, for dinner tonight, like let alone be on the same page with any, everything. But Jesus is not staying the hand of an angry God. Okay, that is bad theology. That's not right. And this is why it's very dangerous because what happens with people like this is they go down the road and they become what I like to call red letter Christians. Has anybody known any red letter Christians? This is what I mean by that, is that they only read the red letters. Why? Because why read the rest of the Bible if it's all about a God who hates you and is mad at you and Jesus is your hero, so only read what Jesus says. And, and you all know that that's terrible theology and you're missing out on so much about who God is. But the idea is this, is that Jesus and the Father have always been, are right now, and will always be united. They're one. They're our, they are on the same page. Look at what Jesus said, uh, tells his, his disciple Philip in John chapter 14. You know, Philip says this to him in verse 8. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? This is what Jesus was expressing to Philip and saying, listen, I am the Father. I am the image. Colossians 1.15 says he is the image of the invisible God. He is a, cop, a, a perfect copy of who God is. Like we serve a God who is not this angry God that Jesus came and saved the day. This was the plan 
the whole time. Between all three of them, they created this plan. It wasn't like Jesus was saying, now God, take a second and breathe. I'll just go down and die for them. That's not what this is. This was Jesus desiring and God desiring to orchestrate this beautiful master plan where God himself rescues his people. They were on the same page the whole time. Even in the Garden of Gethsemane, I know you might say, well, Pastor, you know, Jesus didn't want to do what God was telling him to do. No, no, no. His, like, this is what we have to understand about Jesus here on earth, is that Jesus was fully man and fully God. He was fully man and fully God, right? And in the Garden of Gethsemane, what we realize is that his flesh, the same flesh that you and I wrestle with every single day, wanted to step outside of the will of God. But Jesus says, not my will, but your will be done. No matter how agonizing, no matter how painful, no matter how much I don't want to do it, your will be done, God. Even when Jesus was dying on the cross and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that moment, what happened? Was Jesus removed from the Godhead? No, Jesus was fully God. Not at any point in history has he ever not been God. He's never been removed from the Trinity. What happened is Jesus was experienced not as God, as the man, Jesus, was experiencing God turning away. Why did God turn away from Jesus? So that God can turn toward us. He was our substitute. He was rejected so that we could be accepted. But that didn't make him cease being God. That didn't make him have to stop being a part of the Trinity. He was always one with the Father. And we have to understand that, that he and the Father are one. And, and this is what's beautiful when you understand that, is the word of God begins to come alive. The word of God comes alive when you understand that Jesus is not just relegated to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but he is everywhere. It is all about Jesus. Everything is about him. A.W. Tozer uses this analogy. I think it's pretty incredible, but he says, um, the Old Testament without Jesus doesn't make sense. It doesn't. The Old Testament without Jesus doesn't make sense. He says this, it's like, it's like a house that has no doors or no windows. <laughs> it's awesome, it's beautiful, but it just doesn't quite make sense until Jesus comes and it's like the carpenters come cutting out the doors and the windows. You're like, oh, I can see this is beautiful. He tells this story about a, a, a Jewish uh, uh, friend that he has that gave he was a Messianic Jew that gave his life to Jesus. And this Messianic Jew is telling A.W. Tozer, he says, listen, I know the Bible, you know, front to back. I know the, you know, the, the Old Testament front to back. I, I went to the synagogue. I read. I, I, I know the Torah. And he said, it didn't make sense until I met Jesus. And he said, once I met Jesus, once I gave my heart to Jesus, I understood everything else. This is the beautiful thing about the word of God. Somebody texted me the other day and they said, where should I read? It doesn't matter where you read, just open it and read and you'll find Jesus because from the beginning, the front cover to the back cover, it is all about Jesus. It's all about him and when you look for him, you will find him and he will be revealed. But you can't be one of those red letter Christians that believe God is on separate pages and, and Jesus is good and God is bad. No, no, no. When you read the Old Testament through the lens of the sacrifice of Jesus, what you see is not that God is evil, is that God is filled with mercy. He's filled with grace, that he is compassionate and kind, that he is loving. He's not mad. He's not evil. He's not unfair or unjust, but he is an incredibly loving, kind father. There's no difference. There's no competition. There's no contention. It is Jesus and the father are one. That's what he tells him. Who has seen me has seen the father. 
Here's the last thing I want you to know about. Every believer should eagerly await his return. Every believer should eagerly await his return. So if Jesus is, the, is God's last word to us, we should all be eagerly awaiting him to come back. Now, <laughs> I don't want to get in trouble here tonight, okay? So I don't, just don't think that I'm accusing you of something that you're not because if, if you're not this, then that's fine. We'll just move on. But if you are, you might want to check yourself. I, you know, I still kind of feel this way sometimes, but when I was a kid, I was super terrified of going to heaven. Has anybody had those, like, irrational fears, right? I remember laying in bed, and guys, I, would, I don't know what it was. I was so scared that Jesus would come back. Like, I didn't want him to come back because I wanted to, like, live my life and do my thing, right? Has anybody, come on, be honest. Yeah, yeah, okay, cool, thanks, thank you, thank you. You know, I, I remember, because I remember hearing at church that no man knows the day or the hour, right? I remember that, and so I said, you know what, I can use this, I can use this, and I remember I used to do this. I used to lay in bed, and I used to say, Jesus, I predict that you're coming back tonight, and I used to do that because he couldn't come back tonight, because I would have known the hour and the day, and I would have predicted it. That's pretty smart as a kid, right? That's not bad. So I, I, I kind of got, I chestmated Jesus, and I said, hi, gotcha, you, you, no matter what you want to do, you cannot come back tonight. You got to give me one more day, Jesus, because I predicted your return, right? That's super silly. But, but the idea is true is that there's this fear of his return. And even now, you know, there's, you, you don't have to admit it. I won't make you raise your hand, but there's like this, this fear of his return. And it's real. It's like, man, I don't know. Obviously, there's a fear of the unknown. We don't know what heaven looks like. And it's like we're a little intimidated. We're a little scared. And, and there's some people that are like, man, I want to do X, Y, and Z before you come back, Jesus. It's like, don't come back yet. I want to do this. Or I want to go here. I want to fulfill this. And, and, and Jesus, what about my destiny? Like, I want to fulfill my destiny. But, but here, here's, the, here's the important thing to know is that him returning is always and forever the better option. <laughs> Regardless of whatever you have going on, him coming back is better. And this is the downfall, I won't say downfall, this is the struggle of our American Christianity is because life is very easy for us. It's very comfortable. It's very enjoyable. We very rarely have any inconveniences. I mean, even today with the smoke, it was like, everyone, like everybody's like, oh, this is the worst day ever. And it's like, man, it's just a little smoky outside. You know, it's like, how good do we have it that we just like, oh, the smoke is terrible, which it is pretty crazy. But, but that just goes to show how, how good we live, right? And so for many of us, it's hard, it's difficult to imagine a life better than this. It's hard for us to wrap our mind around a place called heaven that could be better than this. It's like, man, I have everything I need. Just ate, I just ate the greasiest pizza in the world. It was delicious. I got a beautiful, healthy family. I got money in the bank. You know, it's like, Jesus, I don't really need you to come back. I'm good. But, but if you put yourself in maybe shoes that are in a more, more difficult spot, you know, maybe like a, a, a Christian that's persecuted in another country or, or, or ha not having anything to eat. It's like, man, Jesus, please come back. I'm dying, right? But, but for our Christianity, and, it, and the way it translates is, is hurtful. I won't say hurtful. I, I feel like it's, it's wrong the way it transfers because we don't eagerly await his return. Because we have a comfortable life, it's like, yeah, take your time, Jesus. We're good. And we don't desire him to come. And this is what 2 Timothy, Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy uh, verse 4 and 8. He says, finally, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, 
which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not to me only, but also, look, watch this, to all who have loved his appearing. That there's a crown of righteousness reserved for all who have loved his appearing. And this is what I want to suggest to us tonight, okay? I, I said all that. Remember, don't, don't get too mad at me. If you do not love and desire his appearing, it may be a good indication that your priorities are out of line. It may be a good indication to you and to me, and again, this is to me, so let's just be gentle here, to you and to me, that we're too attached to the world. We're too attached to the things of this world. Because if your heart, your knee-jerk reaction is to say, wait, 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 don't come back. (laughs) That means this, you have things that are more important going on in your life. You have things that you desire more than you desire Jesus. And I don't have to tell you, you know, that's wrong. (laughs) That's not right, right? And so we have to, what we have to do is search in our heart a little bit, use that indicator and say, Jesus, what in my heart is making me not want you to come back. Like, oh my goodness, don't even want to say that out loud. Like, saying it out loud is crazy, but like, what in my heart is, is making me scared of your return and not love your return? Here's another check that I, that I want you to just kind of keep in the back of your mind because I think this, this could be significant as well. Sometimes my thought has been this, Jesus, you can't come back yet because I haven't fulfilled my destiny. That's so gross, even to say out loud. It's like, who are you, dude? Who cares about your destiny? <laughs> who cares about your plan? You know, it's like, what? what? Like, what, what is that? That's, that's pride, saying, God, I'm, I'm so important. Allow me to fulfill what I want to do, or even what you've called me to do, right? And, and what we do is we use Jesus as this, like, means to get to our destiny, and we don't desire him to come. Like, I, I heard this recently, um, I forget who said it, but, but a lot of times we use, like, if you're in ministry, you might understand this a little bit more, but we use, like, our, our, our secret place, our quiet time with the Lord to prepare us for ministry. So like, oh, I got to spend time with Jesus so that I'm really sharp when I, like, lead worship, you know, or like, oh, I got to, like, I got to spend time with Jesus so that I can get this word to preach to everybody, or I got to spend time with Jesus so that I can do the thing God has called me to do, but it's like, what, what, what? That's not why you spend time with Jesus, right? Because when, when you're a Christian, when you love the Lord, your, your heart, your, your, your life is set up to love him. And so if you love Jesus, your time with him is not a means to something else. It's not a stepping stone to success or a stepping stone. Even like, it's not a stepping stone to freedom, right? I had this conviction today. I was laying on the leg press machine. I was working out and the Holy Spirit like, I don't know, he, he messed me up a little bit, but I was like, man, God, because he was like, he was like, Dominic, what you do a lot of times is, because, okay, this is what I was saying. I was saying to the Holy Spirit, I was like, man, Holy Spirit, I just feel so close to you, man. Like, I feel really connected with you. Like, there, you know, life has its ups and downs, and you get distant, and you get closer, and it's like, man, Holy Spirit, like, I just feel like we're good, you know, like, we're good. And in the back of my mind, I was thinking about all the things that I did right. I'm like, I did this right. You know, I read my Bible, this, I did this, I prayed for this person. Like, I feel good right now, you know? And the Holy Spirit was like, that's the problem, man. Like, I didn't go anywhere. Like, you relegate your relationship off of me based on your performance. And your relationship goes up and down, not because I'm going anywhere, but because you hold yourself, like, you think that you matter. That's why. 
you think that you matter, and so you take your performance, and then you, you put that on our relationship. He's like, I never went anywhere. Even when you were doing bad, like two weeks ago, dude, like I didn't go anywhere. I was here with you, and you just never acknowledged it. Like, like you have to understand this, that grace is, grace is real, and grace means this, is that there's nothing you can do to earn his presence. There's nothing you can do to enjoy his person. And, and for many of us, we like, we, we use that, that, that time with him to set ourselves up for success. It's like, man, I, I want to be anointed. I got to spend time with Jesus. It's like, you'll never love his return until you get this thing right. Until you get this part of your life right, you'll never be in a position that says, Jesus, would you please come? Would you please come? Rend the heavens and come down, Jesus. Like, you'll never, you'll never be able to truthfully say that if you continue to use his presence as a means to an end. Even if that end is like, like even if that end is freedom. Like if you're addicted to something and you're like, man, I gotta go to the presence of the Lord so I can like break this addiction. It's like, that's still a means to an end. Like Jesus will break it and don't hear me, I'm not saying he won't, but I'm saying this is like, we have to find the treasure in the person of Jesus before anything else. Like all of those things happen and they, and they come to you and Jesus does amazing things in your life. But if you don't treasure and value the person and the time with the person of Jesus, then you'll never love his returning. You'll never, you'll never look at the sky and say, Jesus, when are you coming back? I can't wait to see you. I, I desire you to come, Jesus. And that's where I believe, I mean, think about it. This isn't rocket science. This isn't deep theology here, but just think about it. How would you feel if you were on your way to a party that no one wanted you to come to? They're like, oh, Miranda, you're on your way? Oh, okay. Uh, just take your time. We're good. Why don't you take a stop and go, go to the gas station or do whatever you need to do, right? Like, what? That's so whack, you know? Like, that's what Jesus has to put up with. It's like a bunch of Christians say, no, take your time. You're good. We're just enjoying life down here. You just take your time. No, man, I want to be a Christian that says, Jesus, I can't wait till you show up. Man, Jesus, I can't wait to look at the sky and see you split the sky and come back in all of your glory and splendor. Man, I want to be the type of Christian that every day is knocking on heaven's door saying, when are you coming, Jesus? When are you coming? We're waiting for you. We can't wait until you show up. I love your return, Jesus. And, and this, is, this is our desire, has to be our desire. Remember, because Jesus is God's last word to us. This is it. This is, Jesus, God spoke Jesus to us, and he's our last word, and it's the thing that we desire the most. We desire his return. I love this. I love this verse so much. Finally, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness to all who have loved his appearing. I want to I receive that crown. I want to receive the crown. Remember, we talked about it a few weeks ago. I want to receive the crown so I have something to give Jesus. I want to receive it so I have something to put at his feet because I, I love his return. I'm anticipating, I'm eagerly waiting for him to show up. You know, as we close here tonight, your worship team, you guys can come back up. I want to read this scripture verse here out of Luke chapter 9, verse 35. Um, Jesus was transfigured on the mount. You guys know the story. The disciples saw it, Peter, James, and John. And Peter tends to run his mouth sometimes, and Peter was talking about who knows what. I'll build you a tabernacle, and then Moses a tabernacle, and we're going we're gonna to make this moment special, right? And, and the Bible says, like, he was interrupted by God. 
So then a voice came out of the cloud saying this, this is my beloved son, hear him, hear him. Remember in Hebrews 1.1, various ways, different times, God has spoken to his people through prophets, through messengers, through kings, through judges, through men, through women, through all of these different means. But in this last day, he speaks to us through his son, Jesus. And he's thundered from the clouds, stop talking and hear him. Peter, shut your mouth and listen to Jesus. Listen to Jesus. Hear him. My goal, my desire tonight when we leave this place is that we would leave with a deeper desire to hear him. Like, I love that you guys are here at church. I love being a part of this family. I love that we get to be able to take this, like, faith journey together. But, but don't hear me, okay? If all you're doing is hearing me and hearing Pastor Troy and hearing all of our amazing worship leaders and, and hearing, like, the people on this stage, that you're missing it. You're missing all of it, 100% of it. You're just, you're missing it. You have to hear him. You have to find him. And my desire is that we would become, as Christians, obsessed with hearing him obsessed with hearing him. Like, I, I had this conversation, you know, I was telling you about my kids. I keep picking up this water and not drinking it, so just hold on, give me a second. Okay. I had this conversation with my kids. I told you about having to wrestle them down to read the Bible to them. And I was explaining to them, I was trying to explain to Riley. I was like, Riley, this is, this, this reading the Bible is so important. Like, you have to, you know, you want to do this. And and I said that we read the Bible to know God. We, this is how we know who he is. And, and she said, oh, I already know, I already know God. <laughs> Little six-year-old, so funny. She's like, yeah, I already, I already know God. And I'm like, no, you don't, but you have no idea. Um, but I was like, Riley, how do you know God? And she was like, hmm. She thought for a little bit. And I was like, well, who told you about God? She thought for a little bit, and she couldn't answer me. And I said, Riley, you know God because you've read the Bible. Like, this is how you know him. This is the way that you, and, that you get to see who God is. And I told her it's not enough just to read it like one time or hear one story in kids' church or, you know, hear, hear your dad tell you a Bible story. No, you, you have to devour this thing every single day. And, and I'm trying to, as a parent, stress the importance of of having that time with the Lord to them. And, and you could tell when I said that she kind of understood it, but she was a little bit overwhelmed too because she was like, every day, like every day, every day, every single day. And in the morning she sees me, I, I read my Bible in my little office and, and you know, she comes down the stairs and sees me and she was like, like you read the Bible every day? And I was like, yeah, I, I try to. And I was like, Riley, you know, I've, you know how many times I've read the Bible from cover to cover? You know, probably like a handful of times. And she was like, oh, you're like, you're still reading it. I'm like, every single day. And it's never going to get old. And you're going to read it every single day. And, and I don't want you to just read it. I want you to be obsessed with it. I want you to be like just, just digging into the word every single day to see and to know who Jesus is. It's the most important thing. And I was trying my best to communicate that to a six-year-old, you know, and I'm like, you know, if you don't have any of your toys, all of your Barbies are gone, you know, your iPad's in the trash can. If you have the Bible, you have enough, you know. She's like, amen, dad. No, she didn't say that. I was trying to get an amen out of her, but she wasn't giving them too freely. But, but that's the truth, though, right? If, if, if we don't have anything else in life, 
and we have him, that's more than enough. More than enough. Jesus Christ is God's last word to us. He's God's last word to us. And we have to obsess over the person of Jesus. Would you stand with me tonight as we close? Jesus, we thank you so much that before you came 2,000 some years ago, that God, you spoke to your people through prophets, through kings and judges and men and women and even a donkey one time. But we thank you so much, God, that you sent not just another messenger, but you sent Jesus. You sent your son. You sent your only son, not just to die on the cross for our sin, not just to get uh, to heal us when we're sick, not just to do those things, and you do those things so incredibly well, but you sent your son to be your last word to your people. That you silenced all the noise around you at that moment, and you said, this is my son, hear him. Hear him. So Holy Spirit, we desire to do just that. We desire to hear Jesus. From the, beginning of, from the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation, would we be able to hear Jesus? Holy Spirit, would you open our eyes to the Scripture, open our understanding to the Scripture so that we can see you? God, I pray for every believer in this room right now, maybe even listening to the sound of my voice, who feels like their hope is ran out, it's running out. I just declare that fresh hope would fill them right now, that they can expect to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, just as David declared. God, that is our, that is our expectation, that's our desire, and we know, God, that when we see your goodness in the land of the living, that we know who you really are. Jesus, would you be known by your fruits in our life, the fruits of of healing, of provision, of salvation, of sanctification, the fruits that sprout up in our life. God, the miraculous power of God, may it be all over our life so that we would know not just information, but we would know intimately this God who loves us so much. Jesus, you prayed this in the garden, but you prayed that we would be one as you and the Father are one. And as you are one with God, would you help bring us into that relationship? Make us one with each other, but not just each other, but with you as well. Would it be said of us that everywhere we went, that we didn't reflect our own filth, that we didn't reflect our our frustration, we didn't reflect our flesh, but we, we reflected who God was in every place, that we would be the fragrance of Christ in every place we go. Help us, Holy Spirit, to look more like Jesus every single day. Jesus, we look up into the heavens and we ask that you would come down. Holy Spirit, would you purge our hearts for anything that's more important than seeing Jesus split the sky? We're sorry for making our our own agenda more important, even our destiny, even our purpose, our desires, different things that we want to see in our life. God, we're sorry for putting those above you. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to love the day of your return, 
to eagerly await your return, Jesus. May you come back for a bride who is not apathetic towards you, but may you come back for a bride who is so in love and so excited and overjoyed by your return. May you be celebrated in all the earth, Jesus. We bless you, we love you, we honor you today. Would you be glorified? In your name I pray. Everybody said, amen, amen. That's awesome. So let's do this. Let's, if you have any altar ministers, anybody here, you guys want to come up. I just want to end the service by, by giving this invitation. If you don't know Jesus, if, if you've walked away from him, if, if maybe you've never given your heart to him, I don't know. I can't really see everybody that's here. But we want to give you an opportunity to do that if you're here or even watching online. You know, basically, it's really easy to do. It's harder to live out, but it's easy to do. Salvation isn't hard, but loving him can be hard. And what I want you to know is this, is that salvation is easy. You believe in him, you, you put your heart toward him, you believe that he died on the cross and forgave you of your sins, and the Bible says that you're saved, and you walk through the door that leads you to the Father, that is Jesus. And this is the most beautiful part of the whole thing for me, is that you now have the ability to know the God that hung the stars in the sky. It's only by Jesus. So go crazy, get to know God. If you're here and you don't know, uh, if, if you're here and you're going through a difficult time, maybe in your personal life, maybe a friend or family member is, remember we believe that the miracles of God are here for us now today and we're hopeful that we can see the miracles of God in our life, not just so our lives can be perfect, but that we can know him as he is. So we want to pray with you. We want to bless you and your family. We want to bless your kids. We want to believe in that situation that you're, you're going through with you. We love you. We bless you. Pray that you would have an incredible rest of your week, and we'll see you all on Sunday. Remember to live right, love everyone, and pray hard. We'll see you next time. Have a good one.